Well, what a joy it is to be with you. Um, I have been moved to tears last night, Bruce and Sue. I was undone. I wanted to get saved again, love Jesus more, get more involved in the party that God's all about. But I wanted to also just say an experience I had last night. I saw Todd and Colin arm in arm at the end when um, after the after Bruce and Sue had shared, and um, I think we were singing a worship song, and I just saw them with their hands just lifted to the Lord, and I thought, Todd and Colin Harper, I knew them in college, and they have been faithful to Jesus for these 25 plus years through the ups and downs of life. They've always said yes to him, and I was undone again at the faithfulness of God and their faithful commitment to to him, and I want to honor Todd and Colin as faithful leaders of generous giving and grateful friends. Thank you. Well, I want to introduce you to my family. It's going to make sense here as we share our story a little bit. I think we've got a picture of them. There they are. Hey, whoa, right there. All righty. Well, I have over here on my left, my left would be Abby and her husband, Kyle. They've been married now uh, about 18 months. Uh, Kyle was a Baylor student. He was one of our leaders in our college group. Abby was also at Baylor and then in nursing school. And um, Kyle it works with the uh, special forces in the Air Force. And uh, they uh, have a call to the nations. They are loving people in the Air Force. They've run some alpha courses, seen incredible testimonies. They're living for Jesus. I'm so proud of them. And, you know, they were always called the nations. I'm just glad Uncle Sam is paying for it. They live in Japan and uh, are doing so well. That next uh, lady that looks like my daughter, that is my wife of 27 years, Laura, and you'll hear more of our story. My little man next up is Daniel. He's our 15-year-old, the one we have, one left at home. And uh, we spent a lot of our years living and working in the inner city. But somehow, Laura let me go out and start playing um, golf again if I would take the boys with me. And he actually picked up a club and had this incredible swing. And so my kids got a country club gift, but he lives in the hood. And we're taking that journey together. He loves Jesus. I'm so proud of him. He's a freshman in high school. My next beautiful lady is Lauren. She is a senior at Baylor. Uh, she'll be graduating with a degree in speech pathology. But she's going to take a gap year and go to Mongolia. Uh, last summer, she and a group of friends planted a church among young people and young professionals in downtown Ulaanbaatar. We've had to work there for over 20 years, but it was time for a new generation to come to the Lord and to experience the kingdom of God. And so they've planted a church and it's, it has about two or 300 people in it. She's going to go back and give a year uh, to make sure that's established well with her friends and then also work on social justice issues there. And Lord willing, come back and do grad school. Then Caleb on the end, he's a sophomore at Baylor and uh, he is in an honors program called Business Fellows. He leads worship for our, our college ministry and um, he'll be out and about this summer in Uganda and then doing an internship in Spain. I, as you can tell, I love bragging about these guys, uh, and I'm so, so uh, proud of them. Wanted to introduce you to, to my family, because again, as I share in our story, you'll, you'll get a, a little bit more insight and context. Well, it, as um, Bob just mentioned, 
it was 2001, and actually, I want to bring it to a particular day, November 14, 2001. Uh, I'm walking out of my office, and um, all of a sudden, somebody hits the door with a huge camera uh, from CBS News, and he said, I want an interview. I want it now. And he, and he leans to the other guy, lock down the doors. Don't let any other news agency in here. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, they're out. The girls are out of, out of prison, and we, we want the exclusive interview, and we want it now. And I said, look, man, we've heard rumors on and off for the last three months. We're going to go check out. He said, come, turn on the TV. Dan Rather's about to, to, to do the deal at 530. You'll see. And we gather people around the office, and we see Dan Rather announcing that two uh, American women and six other foreigners have been rescued by the special forces and they're flying back into Islamabad right now and they show a, a film of a, of a helicopter coming into Islamabad. We are weeping. We are undone. You see, it had been 104 long days when I got the first call. Heather and Dana uh, were uh, college students when Laura and I were college pastors. They were friends. They were like daughters to us. And this ordeal had uh, not, it hadn't shocked us. We'd been working in Afghanistan for a few years. They had simply done what they, all our people do. They'd walk down the street, spending time with a family, I'd show them the Jesus film. But they were picked up by the vice and virtue police of the Taliban. And eventually what we would find out in the next few days that it was very pointed. It was uh, under the leadership of Muhammad Omar and a guy called Osama bin Laden. All of a sudden, we realized this was really, really serious. I flew to Islamabad. We had people in and out uh, trying to work negotiations with the State Department behind the scenes. Well, 9-11 happens, and when 9-11 happens and the devastation of, of what went on, what was going on in their lives, which was kind of out of the press, became front and center. So for that, those pre then from then on, those previous two months, we would have press conferences every week. There was every day somebody was calling. Uh, they wanted to know about the girls' lives. They wanted to know about the journey. They wanted to know about uh, faith and how all that works together. And uh, so it was, a, it was a crazy time. And we had people on the ground in Pakistan. One of our pastors was there through uh, every day of it. I was in and out of there three or four times. And so now it's November 14th. Well, there were two things going on in our city at the time. Uh, one was that George Bush and uh, uh, President Putin from Russia were going to have a summit at, at uh, President Bush's ranch in Crawford. Now, I just want to let you know, for all you guys who uh, have a funny, bad view of Waco, Crawford is only 15 minutes from our church. Crawford is basically a suburb of Waco. Now, get your geography right. Elk, Texas, where that whole crazy deal went with David Koresh, that's 20 miles away. We didn't even know they were out there. CNN said it was near Waco, and then everybody else just said it was Waco. So I just want to get that clear. All right. So they're having this summit that's going on. So all the world press is in town, and they're down at Baylor University, which is literally 10 minutes from our church or 5 to 10 minutes away. And the whole world press is there. And we had done a big press conference that morning, uh, again, with just basic updates and that kind of deal. So this CBS guy hits the door. We realize game on. We call our guy in Pakistan. Yes, it's true. He's happening. 
and, and all of a sudden, just from every doorway, there's press coming up, trucks pulling up. And they said, we want an interview. We want an interview. And several of them said, we're going to go live. And I, and I said, all right, hey, let's just do this. we got so many people. We'll set it up in the auditorium. We'll do something at 6.15. We'll do the initial live uh, communication. And then we'll do a question and answer, you know, however much you guys want. So they're, they're setting up all the big boom mics and everything in front of our, uh, at our auditorium stage. And at the same time, I just spontaneously told my assistant, hey, call all of our small group leaders and tell them uh, that the girls are free, that our prayers have been answered. We've been, we literally had had people praying 24 hours a day uh, for all these months. And I said, call everybody, come up and celebrate. Well, not only is the press flooding in, but now our people are flooding in the auditorium. Our worship leader's there, and he's kind of getting some music together. I'm saying, hey, we're just going to worship and celebrate. And it's not 6.15 yet, but everybody's in there. They're hugging, they're crying, they're rejoicing. And I told James Mark, our, our worship leader, I said, just go for it, dude. He plays this song. People are dancing and shouting. And I mean, the press is going crazy. I mean, just, you know, I mean, this is what they were waiting for. And so they're doing their thing. The next day, in newspapers around America, I mean, front page, uh, in the Denver paper, Chicago paper, you'd have uh, our guys like, like that, you know, they're celebrating the release of uh, the two ladies from captivity. So all this is going on, and I'm standing on the front row about to get up and do this, this kind of live, what's our response, and I'm thinking to myself, these jokers have edited Jesus out at every turn, and many of these guys are going live. I am going to preach the gospel. <laughs> I mean, this is the chance. So I I get up there and I said, first of all, we want to thank our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves us, who died on a cross for us and rose again, that all men might be saved. I said, Heather Mercer, at 15 years old, a troubled teenager, ran into somebody who knew Jesus and helped her find Jesus, and out of that compassion, she went to Afghanistan. Dana Curry, a divorced background, brokenness, comes to Waco, finds a relationship with Jesus, and they went to Afghanistan to show compassion to the street kids and care for their needs, but also to share this great love that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, it's awesome. Our whole crowd's clapping, you know, rejoicing. And I saw tapes later, uh, specifically there was, uh, it was Channel 8 in Dallas, the, the CBS affiliate there, and they, they, what they did was they said, we're going live to Waco, Texas, the, the two ladies who've been in prison in Afghanistan are free, and they're sitting there and they, they do the live deal, and then they pause, and now, you know, if you think about newscasters, two-second pause. I mean, they were like, they're really excited in Waco, Texas, and I said, about Jesus, you got it, Awesome. So it was an incredible experience. So the next morning, I fly to Islamabad. On the way to the airport, I get phone calls from David Letterman's people, from Oprah's people, from Larry King, um, from uh, Jay Leno's show. They're all calling, wanting to get the exclusive or wanting to get them on TV. And so we realize this thing's going to go crazy. And how are we going to handle it? And I knew Heather and Dana, you know, their hearts were, we want to minister to the poor. We want to be able to minister to Muslims after this is all said and done. And so we get, uh, I get to Islamabad. We meet at the ambassador's house. Their first interview after they did a public press conference was with People Magazine. And they finished that up. And then we get a chance to embrace and, and rejoice together. And we pull in the back room. And I, and I tell them, I said, hey, you know what? What's going on out there is crazy. Everybody's going to want an interview. People are going to want to make you famous, the whole deal. 
And I said, so I need to know right now, do you want to be Mother Teresa or do you want to be a Christian rock star? And I said, you got about five minutes to make that decision because once you walk out of this door, things are going to change. And they looked at me and they said, what should we do? (laughs) And I said, what's in your heart? Who are you? They said, we love Jesus. We love the poor. We love Muslims. And I said, well, I think you're you're making your decision. I said, but the key issue is going to be the money. I said, what do you do with the money? And they kind of said in unison, well, let's give it all away. Then we won't be tempted by the money. And let's give it back into Afghanistan uh, uh, to the work of the people that we care for. If we give the money away, I think we'll be safe. And I said, right on, let's do it. We prayed together, and then it went. The story did go big, and they were on many of those shows, but you'd be surprised at how many we said no to. Because when you don't have to have fame and you don't have to have money, you can obey God. And there were times that God exalted himself through a public demonstration or a book or whatever, and there were times that they were able to say no. The question is, for all of us, though, is not just for Heather and Dana, but for all of us, what do you do with the money? What do you do with the money really determines, in a lot of ways, how you live your life. In my own journey as a kid, I grew up and um, wanting stuff. I grew up kind of middle class, struggling middle class, and my parents said, we're committed to your needs, but you'll have to provide for your wants. Well, as most little kids, I I wanted a lot. And so I figured out I could sell lemonade or I could sell tandy leather bracelets. Or then I found out I could get a lawnmower and start mowing lawns. And eventually I would would be sneaking in early to wash dishes kind of under the the minimum wage deal. And I, I found ways to make money. I think I had 25 different jobs before I graduated from high school. And I was motivated for stuff and for money. I started getting the Wall Street Journal as a junior in high school and said, all right, now if I've got all this money, now I can learn how to invest this money. And so I got saved right before I came to Baylor University. And so I came to Baylor and I wanted Jesus, but I also wanted money and fame. And I looked around at Baylor and I said, this is awesome. There's all these Christian people who are wealthy and influential. You can have it all. And so I dove into all of it with all my heart, said, I'm going to love Jesus, started going to Bible studies, and I'm going to be somebody on campus, I'm going to be a leader, and I'm going to learn even more skills of how to make money and be influential. And by the end of my sophomore year, honestly, I was out of gas, a little disillusioned. I was doing leadership things, I was having some success, but I, I, I started reading the Bible actually for myself. And I was struck by the central passage that Jesus said was the most important. And he said that all the laws wrapped up in this basic thought, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's everything. And I was stunned. I thought, I don't love him with all my heart. And I looked around. I said, actually, I don't know anybody that does. It, it seems like we're all playing a game. We want Jesus, but we'd like to have everything else too. And I began to pray, Lord, show me how to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, God's faithful to answer prayers like that. And so he had the love of my life break up with me. 
and I was dating this girl. I thought this is the first person I thought I could marry. And all of a sudden, she's gone. She's drifting away from me. And we had the last kind of final deal at, at, right after finals. We were down at her home in San Antonio, and she let me know it's over, it's done. And I remember going for a jog and saying, God, it's so painful. What are you doing? And it seemed to me that God spoke to my heart, I'm answering your prayer. <laughs> You've given your heart away. Now I'm going to let you give it to me. And I thought to myself, okay, God, then I'll give you three months of my life. This summer, I was going to work in an oil refinery in, in Beaumont, Texas, where I grew up. And I said, I'll give, God, I'll give you three months of my life to show me that you're real. I'll give you my heart, and you show me you're real. Isn't that funny? A mere man making a deal with God Almighty. But isn't God merciful in our immaturity? So I'm driving home to Beaumont, Texas, and I'm thinking, what is distracting me? And I thought, well, the secular music I had. And so in my day, it was cassette tapes. I had a little orange Ford Fiesta, and I started pitching uh, my secular music out, the, uh, uh, out on the highway, driving down the highway, just smatterings of little cassette tapes everywhere. Then I thought, well, you know, for me, I grew up in Texas. I'd chew tobacco or dip skulls since I was in sixth grade. And I thought, that's probably a distraction. Let's get rid of that. So I threw my beech nut chewing tobacco out. That was actually the, the hardest thing. But then, then, then I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I've lived my life vicariously through other people all my life. I see somebody on a movie screen. I see somebody on TV famous. I see somebody around me. I'm tired of mirroring my life off others. I, I've got to mirror my life off Jesus. And I said, well, I'm done with movies and TV. We're not going to do that this summer. And so I got home, and I had a, a job where I worked 8 to 10 hours a day at this oil refinery. So every morning, I got up, and I said, okay, I'm going to find out who Jesus is. Now, remember, I didn't grow up in the church, didn't know what a quiet time was, but I just figured if it's about relationship, i got to know this guy, Jesus. And so I would start, I, I, I made this deal with God. I thought, okay, I'll read a chapter a day starting in the book of Matthew, and whatever Jesus did, I'll do it that day. And whatever Jesus said to obey, I'll obey it that day, no matter what. Now, I'm a pretty strong-willed guy, and I had resolved I'm going to do it, no matter what it looks like. Well, by chapter 6, six days in, I was doing one chapter a day, I had given away about everything I had. I had forgiven everybody I had not planned on forgiving, and my life was changed. Six days. You ever actually read the words of Jesus? I should have read it before I made the deal. <laughs> but it was, it was changing my life. It was changing my worldview. The kingdom of God was becoming central, and Jesus was becoming my mirror. So what about the money? I was surprised that the money was one of those big deals. There were three key passages early on in Matthew 5, 42. It says, if anybody asks for anything, give it. And if anybody asks to borrow anything, give it without expecting anything in return. I thought, wow, okay. So anytime I would go to a church, if there was anything in my wallet, I just emptied my wallet. They asked for it, I'll give it. I remember I, I did turn on the TV for just one hour, and it was like a compassion commercial. And they were asking you to support a kid. So I said, I got to support a kid, because I said I'd give it. They were asking. And people asked to borrow stuff. I used to get mad at people, but I'd give them and say, well, don't, even, don't even plan on returning it. And then the, the another passage that really struck my heart was Matthew uh, 6, 19, where it says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
and not treasures on earth because treasures in heaven can never be destroyed. And I thought, you know, I'm into investment. And, you know, if you get a 10% return, that's awesome. 20%, you're really kicking it. If you get 50 in some great deal, like you're, you're smoking. But I thought, in Jesus, if I invest in the kingdom of God, that's a hundredfold return. It can never be taken away. The wisest investment in the world would be to give my resources or my time or my energy to the kingdom of God because it's a hundredfold return. It's the surest investment on the planet. So it changed my investment mindset. And then I read this little passage in Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I thought, Absolutely. And you know what precedes that is don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or wear or whatever. And I kind of came with this little phrase. I'm going to be in it for him and for them and he'll take care of me. I don't have to be in it for self-preservation. I can be in it for him and for them and he will take care of me. Well, I came back and obviously I'm, I'm radically changed and I'm with a buddy and we're we're out biking one day, and he's talking about all that God's doing in his life. I'm telling what God's doing in my life. And he said, have you ever heard of missions? Because we were saying, what do we do with this incredible newfound light of Jesus? You know? And he said, have you ever heard of missions? I said, no, I haven't. Again, I didn't grow up in the church. And he said, well, you know, missions is when you go tell people about Jesus somewhere in the world who've never heard. And I said, cool, you know, anybody knows anything about it? And he thought, he said, no, I don't. But why don't we go to a church tomorrow morning and find out if anybody knows anything? And so we go to this church, Highland Baptist Church, and we, we go to the Sunday school, and they, they, they have a breakout uh, for Sunday school classes, and they have a little uh, greeting time in the, uh, at the beginning. In the greeting time, they said, hey, today we have a missionary from Thailand who's here, and he wants to talk on the topic of what is missions. If you're interested in that, go over to this class. I hit my buddy. I said, all right, God's answering our prayer. We're going to find out what missions is. So we go, and the guy talks about missions, and and uh, he takes Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and unpacks it. And at the end, basically, he says, everybody's called to be missional. Everybody's called to be a missionary wherever God called you, etc." And he finishes, and I, and I think, I'm going to go up and tell that guy, he's right. He's right on. Way to go. I, he needs some encouragement. Because I went up to him, and I said, hi, uh, Mr. Depew, I wanted to let you know, you're right on. You know, Jesus said what you just said. I said, I've read it in Matthew 20. I, I read that. Jesus said that. And you're, you're right. That's good. He laughed. And he said, I, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but he said, I have a friend who looks for lost tribes in the interior of New Guinea, cannibal tribes even, to preach the gospel. And he'd love some young people to come with him this summer. What do you think? Well, of course. I mean, you know, he's asking. We're going. We said, we're in. So that was September. And... Um, the, we were planning on going the next summer. Well, again, I, I knew a couple of people from Campus Crusade who knew how to raise support, but I didn't know what that meant. And we were kind of going through an organization that wasn't that organized. And, and uh, so it was me, uh, another guy, and another gal. And we, we all said, all right, we're going to go, and we're going to pray and believe God for this money. But remember, I've got this other thing going on, and God's already spoken to me about being a giver. And so I had made about $5,000 that summer. And as the year goes on, if people are asking, I'm giving. And people are asking, I'm giving. Well, I come to the end of the school year and I've given away about $2,500. I've given away about 50% of what I'd made. And the only thing is, that's great and everything, except there's nothing left. And it's the end of the year and a little bit has come in. And, and, and uh, God's working in different ways for our money for this trip. 
But it comes to kind of the last day. And together we needed $3,000 apiece or $9,000 to spend the summer in New Guinea. And um, we're about $2,000 out. And I had sold all my books. I am now dating my wife-to-be, Laura. She doesn't know that I'm poor but um, because I've been taking care of her. And I'm gonna, we're, we're supposed to be presented in front of the church about our trip to New Guinea. And then they're, then they're to make opportunity for people to give money to us. So we're thinking, okay, we're 2,000 out. Lord, you can do this. They'll present us in front of the church and it'll work. And uh, I pull up, and I, but I realize I'm a little bit of a dilemma. I'm supposed to go to, to Laura's home and spend a few days with her family before I leave for New Guinea. And I've sold all my books, paid all my bills, and I only have $14 cash. Now also, I gotta say, we were committed to no debt at the same time. So I had 14 bucks. And I had a quarter tank of gas, and it's about a three-hour drive from Waco to Houston. And um, so I'm walking to the church service, praying about how God's going to provide for us. And uh, I just sensed the Holy Spirit says, go get your wallet. I left my wallet underneath my car seat, and I knew what that meant. My 14 bucks is going, because I know they're going to pass the plate, and i got to give everything that I have if they do. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus. I thought, well, I've come this far. I'm going to go for it. So got my wallet. They passed the plate in the regular offering. I throw in the $14. And they were playing some worship song during the offering. I stood up and just, <laughs> I mean, just weeping. I mean, talk about, I am out there now. There is a point of no return. I'm sure people were singing, look at that young man, just loving Jesus. <laughs> no, I was surrendering painfully to Jesus. Well, that night they had um, Nate Saint's wife speak of the famous Aka Indian martyrdom of the 1950s. She was raising money for her son to build water wells, and they took a big offering. And then the pastor gets up and says, we have Francois from France. He's here, and he's going to come up and share about what's going on in France. And they pass the plate again. And we're thinking, we're cooked. We're done. They passed the plate. They've had an offering. They've had two mission deals. And, he's, and then he said, now, hey, we're so glad. Thank you, Francoise. We all stand up to leave. And we're thinking, no. And all of a sudden, I guess the Lord just reminded him. He said, oh, there's these three college students going to New Guinea. If you want to help them, you can. And he said, good night. Have a great evening. And people start coming up to us. Though immediately a business guy walks across the way. And he said, here's three tickets to Los Angeles. God spoke to me already to get involved with you guys for the leg one, and then people began to give money, and it was, it was awesome, and all of a sudden, and things were just flowing like crazy, we're standing there just in shock, and um, I looked down to, get, to read a scripture in my Bible, and there's two crisp $100 bills in there, and I thought, wow, okay, God's provided even more, well, when we counted up all the money, we had $1,000 more than we needed, and I thought, I can't take that money, I mean, I'd never received money from anybody. Actually, it was a very awkward experience. I'd always worked for anything I had. And, but it seemed like the Spirit of God was saying, I put those there. Those are for you. That's to take care of things. And I, I was, was going to submit it to the pastor who we talked with afterward and my friends. And I said, hey, I don't know how to say this, but we, I don't, about this 200. They said, God already spoke to us. That's for you and for Laura. Go for it. And I thought, yeah, I can fill my tank with God. And she still won't know I'm poor. Well, those were the beginning days of being marked by God, of going on the great adventure, of trusting him. So I want to fast forward with you, though, because the question is, well, that's cool, a young college student. So how did that translate once you got married? 
Well, for Laura and I, um, when, right before we got married, I was working in business in Houston. Uh, her dad uh, was a partner for KPMG in estate planning. And uh, because of my job and his job, we'd meet downtown at the Petroleum Club. And, you know, I was what he wanted. I mean, I was business guy. We were together and all that stuff. The only problem was that God spoke to me clearly that we were to go into full-time missions, that we were to leave this job right before we got married. I still remember the meeting at the country club with grandma. What? You're doing what? As I had to explain over and over again that we were going to leave our jobs and we didn't know what the future held, but God wanted us to reach the world for Jesus. And so uh, the long story short, we get married and we submit a proposal to our church of what would it look like if the local church owned the process of training and sending people to the nations. Instead of just people going to seminary or going to a parachurch organization, what if we actually, through relationship, evangelism, discipleship, and small group reproduction, what if we actually had a training school and how that training school trained people and sent them to the nations? And they said, hey, it sounds like a great idea. If you guys have students that are will people willing to do it, uh, you guys can do the school. It's just we don't have any money. So there it is again. What do you do about the money? So Laura and I said, what do we do about the money? And as we sought God, sought the scriptures, we also ran into a book by a guy named George Mueller. For most of you may know of George Mueller, he was a guy who started an orphanage um, in uh, England in the 1800s. It served thousands of kids, but his big deal was prayer. Uh, his big deal was prayer and not asking anyone for anything. And so Laura and I went on that journey with that same mindset. We're just going to pray for our needs. We're not going to tell anybody our needs. We're going to work when we can. So on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday morning, the school was on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday afternoons, we would work, and it would take a, get care of about half of our needs. But in the middle, of it, Laura and I said, okay, we don't want to, we're going to, we're just, we're not going to tell people our needs. We're going to trust God to do this. Um, but we also want to be givers along the way. So Lord, let us not be out of the giving mode. Well, in the midst of it, we saw God provide in incredible ways. One day we had a man from out of town who was coming in, a pastor that needed a, uh, a meal. And so we, we hosted him and he came to our house. He was coming to our house and literally we only had one can of beans left. Just so you know, we never missed a bill payment, never missed a rent payment in those two and a half years living like that. But this particular day, it was, it was close, and, and Laura said, well, what do we do? We want to be hospitable and loving. And I said, honey, he's a, he's a man of God. If, if it gets to that point, we'll trust God to multiply the food, or we'll just fast and pray together. I mean, you know, let's just go for it. <laughs> the guy pulls up in, in our driveway. I go out in the yard to meet him, and he said, um, hey, I, I just wanted to ask for your help to bring something in. He said, my mom lives in Waco and we just had to put her in assisted living. And I had gone and bought her 10 bags of groceries uh, to take care of her. And he said, but, um, but I, I prayed about it and I thought I would just bring it to you guys. Is that okay? And I said, dude, you just brought your dinner. This is awesome. We would get encouragements along the way. On another situation, we had a man from Brazil who was... Um, was uh, coming through town and he was going to, uh, he was uh, working with Youth with a Mission and he was raising money and he had done a presentation that night. He was staying with us and we had packed his lunch and done the things you're supposed to do and we really wanted to give to him. But we had $100 due the next day in a bill and we only had $20 to our name. And so uh, Lord, and I prayed about it. I said, honey, let's give him the 20 bucks. I mean, 
we trusted God this far. Let's just sow into his life and just trust God to take care of us. Well, we give him the $20. Of course, we didn't explain our need. We prayed for him, told him we wish we could do more, asking God to multiply that. The next morning before he left, he wrote a note, and it said this. As I was praying this morning, God showed me that your need was greater than my need and that I was to leave you $100. We thought, yes, God knows where we live. Well, then, as always happens on a faith journey, some resources came in, and we, we had a couple thousand over one month. And my wife brought up the great idea, what if we actually saved for a car? Of course, we're, we, we have cars, but they, they, uh, one of them wasn't running that well. And she said, what if we actually save? And we thought, well, you know, should we do that or should we not do that? So we, we put that $2,000 over there. About a week later, these dear friends who had had their first child, their car totally breaks down. They don't have another vehicle. That's it. And they asked if, we would, if people would pray with them about that. And so Laura and I are praying about two seconds, and we said, we're praying, and we have the money. How can we not keep the money moving? And so we said, of course, that's why God wants us to hold the $2,000, to take care of their need, because that's not our need right now. And that's how we just approached life. We just said, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And if it was saving, we say, all right, God, then you're saving your money for something or you're doing whatever. Well, now, these stories I could talk for days about marriage, but then what about kids? Kids came along. And kids are really the, the big deal that gets our heart. And so I want to briefly just tell you where we came biblically about how to raise our kids. There were three basic truths that we came up with that we looked at Scripture. We want to teach them to live simply, work diligently, and give generously. Live simply. That does not mean a particular lifestyle. We're not the lifestyle police. I know that in the sound of my voice, there are people with houses and boats and cars and everything else. I'm glad you have them, and I'm glad that you share them. Be blessed. And for others, you may say, I've chosen a narrower life, or God's spoken to me to live in a different way. It's not the lifestyle police. Living simply for us was living within our means. That we're not going to leverage ourselves out. We're not going to go into debt. And so we would teach our kids, whatever we have is what we have. And that's what we work with, whether it's vacation or whatever it is. And then we taught our kids how to share. We always made sure that wherever we lived, that there was always another room for somebody to live with us. And there was always another room for somebody to be a guest. Which means that our kids had to live together. You know that that was one of the healthiest things we did? Teaching our kids to live together uh, in order to have, make room for other people. Well, that was, uh, that was another big piece. And then the other thing that we did that was kind of unique was we rented for 16 years because we didn't have cash to buy a house. We did the debt-free thing all the way across the board. Well, God, after 16 years, and just by the way, you know what really the main motivation for that was? Is we always wanted to be free to go whenever God said go. We didn't want to be tied to anything in this world. We wanted to be able to walk out of the house and just go. Well, Here we are, and God's speaking to us to plant this church, and we're planting it in the inner city. And how are we going to reach the inner city? You can't minister to people. you got to minister with people. And so we said, guys, we're going to move into the inner city. And so we looked around, and we found that the city was selling lots for $1,000. And what they really wanted us to do was to build houses in there and move in. And so we took that $1,000 lot, and we, we bought the lot, and we said, all right, we're going to build a house, guys. We don't have any money. We're going to do it together. And so we had friends, and we actually did kind of the barn raising thing with the framing and all that, and we would do pay as you go. 
Well, we came to this critical point where we were $18,000 were due in about 10 days. And so we gathered the kids together and we said, all right, guys, here we are. They're, they're probably nine, seven, five, and three, or, or at that time one. We got everybody together and we said, here we are, guys. We owe $18,000 and we don't have anything. This is awesome. It's going to be great. I'm saying that. Laura's not saying that, but we're there. And we're, we're there and the kids... Um, uh, we said, all right. And I said, kids, I went jogging this morning and I found seven cents. We got seven cents towards the future. And so we put that seven cents in the Tupperware bucket. And I said, all right, guys, how much change do you think we can find in the house? They take off, they run around, they come back about 20 minutes later, $1.52 from couches and chairs. And we said, all right, we've got $1.59. cents." So we only need $17,999 or whatever it is, 98 some change. I said, that's all we need now. Let's pray. Let's trust God. I said, and you know what? At the cyber house, it's clear the cupboards week. Whatever's in there, we're going to make it work. Mom's going to make some cool stuff. We're not going to gripe or complain. We're going to have a fun time doing this. About four days later, we get a note from uh, missionaries that we had supported for the last 10 years. You see, Laura and I were always committed to tithing, committed to 10% of managed giving, and then try to give a percentage higher every year, no matter how much we've made all of our married life. We just said, that's just who we are as a people. And so these people wrote, a, wrote us a note and they said, we got a small inheritance and we asked God what to do with it. And he said that you had need. We're sending a check for $11,000. I knew their need. I knew where they were. They didn't have the money to do it, but they did it. And man, rejoicing in the house. Well, you know how it goes. Obviously the all the 18 came in, and we built a house in the hood. We lived a, 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 across the street from a crack house, and, and um, uh, our kids learned to minister in the neighborhood and, and to live out life. So we, we taught them to live simply. We taught them to work diligently. We trained all our kids, hey, this is what we're going to do with chores. This is, um, uh, th that, um, this is how we're going to do uh, uh, jobs and all that stuff. And I, we taught them how to uh, do a lawn business and taught my daughters how to do swim lessons. Here's how you provide for yourself. And then we taught them 10% tithe, 10% to missions, and 10% to the poor. And the other 70% you can do whatever you want with. Well, what we found out was that other 70% also was surrendered to Jesus. And they would give to friends and family and care for others and do so many great things. But fast forward a little bit, and honestly, I think this is probably one of the, the, the landing points here. We, as we got into college education, the question is, what do you do? Did you guys save for college education? Probably know the answer by now. We didn't, and, but here's what Laura and I said. We said, if we teach them how to live simply, work diligently, and give generously, if we teach them how to do those things, then you know what? We'll give them what they need for a lifetime. And when it comes time for college, we'll do anything. We'll sell anything. It'll be all for one and one for all. Well, we got to that for the first kid in college. We, I sold a truck, uh, my, my truck. We went to one vehicle. We made it through debt-free for her first year. Second year, she got great scholarships because of her diligence and so on and so forth. And then her other sister was coming into college. And um, we had everything covered except $3,000. And uh, it's, it's Christmas time because uh, our second daughter took her first year, semester, lived in India because she had college hours from high school. She lived in India the first semester, so she's starting spring of, of that year. And December 20th, $3,000 is due, and it's December 18th. And Laura and I are starting to fret now a little bit, and we're saying, did we do our kids right? 
are they going to be bitter in the end? Their friends aren't struggling like this. They're not having to sacrifice. Did, did we do them right? And we said, you know what? We just need to, we need to ask them. We need to be, we've always been honest and open. We need to just have a little family powwow and talk about it. So we, we went out of town to a friend's house about 45 minutes away. We caught up on life. We talked about the transitions in college and into adulthood. And we, we talked about if you start dating somebody, is that fair game for everybody to give input or is that just your deal? As you make career decisions, are we all in this together or do you want to make your own way? And over and over again, our kids with joy said, hey, we're the team, man. We, this is Team Cyber. We're in. We want everybody's input. We're doing this together. And then Laura and I brought up the topic. We said, you know, mom and I are struggling. We, we feel like uh, we don't want you guys to struggle financially. And Lauren, you know we've got $3,000 due, and we can't not do it debt-free, and it's due in two days. And, and um, we just need y'all's wisdom and input. And said, Mom and I thought, I, I can get a second job. She can go back to work. We, we would do it with joy. We would do it with joy. And we start talking about the different ideas that we've come up with. And, and the kids are just look like they're in shock. And tears start coming down different ones their face. And they say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You didn't raise us like this. You raised us to trust God and to work hard. We'll get two or three jobs, not you. You've been called to do what you're called to do. And we are with you. I mean, we were just undone. We prayed. We said, God, we're, we're yours. And all of our kids worked through college, and they've They've more than done their part, but a friend calls me a couple of days, and the next day, nobody knows our needs or anything going on. He said, hey, I need you to stop by. I just need your help with something. I stopped by his house, and he's a dear friend. I've known him for 20 years, and the office is out of his home. And he said, hey, you know, I did really well last year, and my wife and I have been praying about giving a gift to somebody, and, and, and we wanted to give you something for uh, your kid's education. And I said, hey, man, you, you don't need to do that. You know, you're free. That's not, that's not what we're about. And he said, no, no, I, I have to obey God. This isn't about you. This is about me and God. So he hands me the envelope, of course, hug, thank him, and walk out of the house. I pull up to a stop sign, open the envelope, and it's a check for $3,000. I call the kids and say, well, <laughs> we're still on course. <laughs> you don't have to get the second or third job. <laughs> we're going to make it. Obviously, we taught our kids to give generously. They share with one another. My daughter's going to graduate debt-free. My other daughter graduated debt-free. Caleb's going to, he's at the end of his sophomore year. God has provided for them. But you know what they do? They end up giving to each other. When they get a little bit more in scholarship money, they give to the other one. It's working, the next generation. You know, I think when we all wrestle through these issues. It's about impacting people, isn't it? But I think what most of us really are drawn to is, how is this going to impact my kids? Are they going to get it? Are they going to get the next generation? Going to make it? I want to share one last story. We not only taught our kids how to work diligently, or live simply, work diligently, give generously, but we taught them how to risk abundantly. That the kingdom of God is the most important thing. Everything for Jesus we took them most every summer to Haiti, to Mexico, to India, to Africa. We took them all over the world. We would sell things, work hard, do whatever it could because we wanted them to be active in, in the kingdom of God and the big picture of God's world mission. 
But there were times that they had to let me go, and, and one, in particular, one particular time when we were actually trying to get into Afghanistan for the first time, my kids were little kids, I think, like I said, nine, seven, five, and maybe one, and we gathered the kids together, and we said, Daddy needs to go to Afghanistan, and it's dangerous, and we don't, we don't, we don't have the money for it. We have enough for the plane ticket, but we only have $100 left for the family while Daddy's gone. What's God saying, guys? And uh, I'm there with Laura, and I'm saying, baby, just take the $100. I'll trust God to take care of it. I can make it to the airport to Uzbekistan. I'll walk into Afghanistan. We'll make it. And the kids all gathered together, and then Laura, and they said, Daddy, you take the money. <laughs> and so we had this big argument. No, you take the money. No, you take the money. We agreed on me taking 20 bucks and them taking 80. <laughs> so they're praying for me. And you know, of course, God provides for them while I'm gone. But I get on the airplane, I don't know what's going to happen. I get to Uzbekistan, we have friends there and uh, missionaries, we, we planted a church there. I get off the plane in, in Tashkent and um, a, a guy, my guy walks up to me and said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And he said, there's a friend of mine here that called me this morning and said he has to meet you. He's one of the other missionaries in town. And I said, really? Yeah, what's he want? He said, I don't know. So I walk up and said, hey, how you doing, Dave? And Talked to him a little bit, and he said, uh, hey, this is weird, man. I, I've never done this before, and I don't really know what all's going on, but I heard you were trying to get to Afghanistan. He said, I was praying this morning, and God told me to come to the airport and to give you whatever it takes to get there and back. I was able to email my family and say, God has answered again your prayers. Way to go, guys. We would get into Afghanistan. I would have the opportunity to witness to the number two guy under the Northern Alliance who was eventually assassinated. It opened up a doorway for us to do our work, which even goes on today in that country. My kids prayed me through Iraq, through Iran, all over the world. We've done it as a team. The kingdom of God is not simply a set principles. It's following a person named Jesus and living as much like him as we can and when we don't, repenting abundantly. And what your kids actually want is an authentic life. They want to see what you do and how you live. And therefore, it's never too late. Went in with one last story. The first time I got invited to do a generous giving thing, and as I said, I jokingly say to Todd, I know they bring me as the weirdo to kind of shock you guys. So I've gotten more comfortable with that. So I, um, I was in a meeting just like this with people who are very, very generous, about 25. It was just a, it was men only, and we were, I told them a little story, and then we did question and answer. And people kept asking the same question in different ways. Um, well, I've gotten up to where I'm given 30%, and I'm just wondering if that's okay. Or, or what does God say if I have a lot of money, and I gave $5 million last year out of my foundation, what do you think about that? Or, or we're trying to do this, what do you think about that? And I was just trying to answer practically questions. And then after about three questions, I just said, hey, time out, guys. I said, all you guys are asking really the same question. And the question is, how much is enough? What's going to justify me before God? And I said, you know what's going to justify you before God? Nothing but Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. That's the power of the gospel. You are loved and wanted by God because of his initiative. And therefore, you're free, man. You're free because Jesus died for you. You do not have to justify yourself anymore. But you're also now free 
to surrender to Jesus, to go on the great adventure with Jesus. And I said, it's not a set principle. Is it 30%? Is it 40%? Is it a double tithe? Is it 90%? I said, there, it's not about percentages. It's not about how this person does or that. It's about the leading of Jesus in your life. It's about absolute surrenders. You speak, Lord Jesus, and I'm in. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus and you following him wholeheartedly. And you know what? They responded. They responded deeply. We prayed together. I don't think you could hear a pin drop as people were just struck to the heart. You know what? It is about Jesus. And I got to get, get to know him better. I want to end with that particular challenge and pray right now. It's about Jesus. He saved us. He loved us. Everything's his. He's got a great adventure for us if we actually want to go with him. It's not about principles. It's about a person. So what I want to do in this moment, just ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to simply ask that question, Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me? And I want to follow you. And in this moment, I just want you to wait in silence and let that peace or that sense of the Holy Spirit's work bring to mind people and things and thoughts and ideas. We're just going to wait here a few moments. Now, Lord Jesus, the grace that saves us may it also be the empowering grace that frees us to follow you, to obey you, and to go on that great adventure that you have for us. We love you. We honor you in this place. And we are wholly yours. Amen.